I woke up this morning, it's like the devil's trying to keep me quiet. And that's fine because I know that this message is good. Um, and it's a message for each one of us. And, and as we've been going through these last few weeks, we've been really focusing on uh, scripture that gets misused. And, and I say that every week because I want us to understand that I'm not saying anything about God's word. I'm saying about us as humans, as Christians or non-Christians or whoever. I mean, the world seems to use God's word just as much as Christians do anymore. And they all look to apply their own meaning to it. Um, if you haven't figured out over the last couple of years, one of the things that's been a theme here is simply this. God's word's not necessarily up for multiple interpretations at this point. It's not that we all can't get something different from some of the scripture. And it's not that we're sitting here saying, well, you know, it might hit me differently than it does Blake. But when we misinterpret God's word to apply to a to something that is in direct contradiction to God's word, then we're not interpreting God's word the correct way. And the world seems to want to do that on, on a daily basis. And that being said, this one's going to probably step on more toes than the last few. On the Jeremiah 29, 11 was a pretty tough one. Last week, talking about judge not lest you be judged, it seems like everybody wants to throw that one around. This week, Philippians 4.13. And I have honestly had trouble with it this week as well. But Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, that on its own is a wonderful verse, right? But what we've been doing over the last few weeks is really diving in contextually to the scriptures that we want to use as, as quote-unquote life verses or anything of that nature. So I got to thinking about this verse and thinking about all the places that I've seen it growing up. One was under the bill of my baseball cap. I'm not going to lie. I remember putting it under the bill of my baseball cap. But I also know that there were players on other teams who were putting it under the bill of their baseball cap, or it was a verse that they were praying before an event. I can think of when I was in high school and wrestling. How many of us have ever used that verse growing up, thinking about, the event we were getting ready to take part in, or just in general, in anything. I mean, that's a verse that was typically, a, I mean, it's one of the first verses you learn as a kid. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can go out and win this baseball game because God gave me the strength. I can go out and win this football game because God gives me strength. I can go win this wrestling match. I can go talk to this girl standing in the corner because she's beautiful and I can do all things through Christ who gives me, right? Because that's how we apply it as a youth. I mean, that's how not understanding the context, we could apply that to anything, right? I mean, but what about the two kids that are on opposing teams who are both using that verse? One kid leaves the game because he won and he says, I told you I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. While the other kid's going, God didn't give me the strength to win. That verse doesn't mean anything. Or what about the criminal who has his gun out and says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength right before he murders someone? Well, I mean, is that false application of the verse? We think so. But in his mind is that, I mean, he can murder because God gives him strength. 
See, this is why application and context is just as important as the verses that we're looking at. And so as we look at this today, what do we... We need to see what Paul is really saying. We need to really understand what Paul is saying to us in Philippians 4.13. How how should it apply to our lives today? And so as we look at this, the first question is that we answer the question of what does he mean by all things? Does he mean literally all things? Does he mean the, the, the thief and the job that the thief's about to commit? Does he mean... The, the criminal who's about to murder someone, does he mean the, the, the one who's caught in an act of adultery and is about to commit this act? I mean, if David had said this words before he went over to have Bathsheba, well, I mean, is he granted clearance because he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength? No, because he wouldn't have said that because Christ hadn't come yet, right? But we also need to understand That is not a license to sin. Just as any other scripture we've talked about through this, none of them are a license to sin. So as we look at this and what we think about is today, are we talking physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, or a combination of all of these? Are we talking strength in weakness? What what are we saying here? So as we look at it, Philippians was written by Paul while he was under house arrest in Rome. Um, in fact, if we really think about the history of Philippians, we understand that Paul didn't know if he would get back to Philippi. Paul, in fact, didn't even know what his next day was going to hold. He didn't know if he was going to be um, executed by the Romans or what the situation might hold. I mean, he's sitting in a Roman prison and he didn't know what the next day might hold. They had been persecuting him and the other Christians he felt compelled to, to write a letter to the first church that was started in Greece. Now, this church was started in Philippi. Um, there's stories in the book of Acts that we can look at. One of the first converts was a woman named Lydia. And I, I find the story there quite interesting because this woman named Lydia comes to know the Lord. And in Acts 16, verses 14 and 15, we see part of the story. It says, now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. In other words, she comes to know the Lord. She comes to accept Christ as her savior, and then she invites them over to stay at her house. Well, the story continues on, and what we see is that not long after this, Paul and the ministry, um, the, the minister that's with him is Silas at this time. They were imprisoned for interfering with local business, roughly. I mean, if we want to, if it, let's really break it down. In other words, they were interfering with local business is basically the charge that was brought against them. Because they had freed this girl um, from the demons that were holding her down. And they were, it was a slave girl that was making money for her owners. And when they freed her of the demons, when they freed her of the sins, 
when they freed her of the things that were causing this problem, all of a sudden she's no longer in the fortune telling business. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm being very loose with the translation on that. But what I'm saying though, even in prison, the Philippian jailer then came to Christ. So I have a trouble saying that Paul was doing the wrong thing, which he wasn't. And we know the the fights that were coming because of the fact that, you know, and there's a lesson we can take in all of this. The closer we get to Christ, the harder the struggles are going to be for us. There's a lesson that we can learn in the story of Paul. Because the more we do, the more we try to get into the whole mentality of where Christ wants us to be, the more we're going to face attacks from the other side. But those attacks mean nothing. Those attacks can do nothing. Those attacks can try to tear you down, but they can't do anything to tear you apart. That is a choice that we have to make. That is something that happens within us. We choose whether our attitude is one way or the other. We're the ones that choose how we handle the circumstance, correct? So when we look at this, what we see is that under Paul's influence, the church in Philippi grew and it became relatively healthy and the church would often send him financial support. Now, this support that the church would send him would be to go toward the ministry he was doing. So in other words, he was a missionary from the church of Philippi, so to speak. It's kind of like what we do with Jason or, you know, Whitefields, the ministries that we give money to. This is what the church has decided they're going to do for him. Well, so Paul is writing this letter to the church of Philippi to say thank you, but also to let them know some things. And when we get to this fourth chapter, we start to see some of the context of this come together. The Philippians struggled with a lot of things, I think, based on what Paul has written here. But what we see is that more than anything, the letter is meant to be a a letter of update, but also an encouragement to the Philippian church. It's a letter that's being written to um, to give them hope, so to speak. He says that he desires to see them grow spiritually. He gives them ways they can grow spiritually. And then what we see is that he wants them to be unified in experiencing the joy that Christ can bring to your life. The joy that Christ intended for the church. And in fact, the whole joy and, you know, if we think about the words rejoice and joy are used, no, I think 16 times, maybe more. One of those two versions of the word is used 16 times in the book of Philippians. So Paul had a point for what he was writing to the Philippian church. And there's four chapters and you're seeing those words used. Um, and, and so when we look at the contextual nature of this book, we realize that that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength might not apply to an everyday life situation. might not apply to a sin that we're about to commit. Obviously, it doesn't because it's in direct contradiction to God's word. But what we see here is that obviously the Philippians were struggling with joy. I say that because Paul seems to be emphasizing joy. You know, as I've studied this week and I've studied over the last couple of weeks on this a little bit, one thing I came to realize is that the Philippian church, in my opinion, is not much different than Newland Christian Church. I think we struggle with joy sometimes. I struggle with it. In fact, it might not be much different than a number of churches in America. 
We struggle with circumstances that are beyond our control. And we find ourselves in moments of weakness where we find ourselves lacking the joy that needs to be in our lives. You know, we find the hope that is in the word of God. We find the comfort that is in the word of God. But yet we lack the joy that comes by hearing the word of God because we get wrapped up in well, I'm just not good enough for this or I'm not good enough for that. Why, why did my family have to go through this situation? Why did this have to happen to me? We get downtrodden a little bit about the fact of the people that aren't coming anymore. But we don't think about the ones that we could invite in. The ones that could be coming. You know, each one of us needs to go out and invite someone. Not because we want to see someone come to church and put a number on the pew. But because it could be our invitation that finally gets them to walk in those doors to hear the truth about God's word. It could be our invitation that finally gets them to come through the doors and sit on the pew and hear the truth hidden in the word of God that can speak to them that day. It might be that that could be what triggers the, the, the time for them to hear the word that, that gets them forward. Whatever the case might be, we've got to be obedient. And if you feel that in your heart, it's like, hey, I need to speak to this person about the Lord. I need to speak to this person about coming to church. Maybe I need to invite them to church today. Well, then do it. Don't let that day go by that you regret when you get home that you've missed an opportunity to invite someone in to the body to be in fellowship with us you know, the scripture tells us in Hebrews 10, 25, don't forsake the gathering together. And I believe that that's true. Now, it does say, as is the custom of some, and it, you know, if I'm speaking contextually, then I need to clarify, you know. But where we're at in Philippians 4, <coughs> excuse me, what we start to see here is that little has changed for the church today. Little has changed from where they are in Philippians 4 to where we are right now as a body in Christ. And what we need to understand is, I mean, well, it, it's easy to become consumed by the worry of the world. Worry destroys joy. And I know we're already after 12, so I'm going to do the best I can to get through this as quickly as possible. But just hear me out for a minute. Um, there's questions that we ask ourselves. There's questions of, well, you know, where are we going to get this money for, for this cost? Why, why is this circumstance happening? Where, where am I going to get the time to get this done? How am I going to work this out with my family or with my friend? How, how is this circumstance going to take place? But these worries can hijack our faith. I know of circumstances right now that we are worried about. I know that each one of us probably has a one or two or ten worries on our mind right now. So much so that we're allowing it to hijack our faith. I, I know this because this week I've spent time having to catch myself and redirect myself. The more I studied, the harder I went into it, the funniest thing happened. It was like I would sit there and be studying and then all of a sudden my mind would trail. And I would start worrying about something else. 
worrying about someone else, worrying about this circumstance or that circumstance or how this was going to happen this way or how we were going to get all this stuff or decorating the church, uh, whatever it may have been, those things become worries as the weeks go on, as the days go on. And then we start trying to figure out how we're all going to fit it in. One thing that I did recognize this week, and one thing I actually heard on a ministry program on 106.9 one night, I was sitting there listening to it, and, and he said something along the lines that said, when we get so worried about how we're going to fit everything into the schedule, we start to try to rush, and it takes us longer to do the things than if we just relaxed and did them. Because we get so worked up in worry that it actually takes us longer to complete the tasks while worried than if we would have just done them to begin with and stopped worrying about the outcome. And he said he didn't think that was an accident, that it happens that way. And I honestly believe that that's the truth because the Lord doesn't not. I'm not going to get into any of those statements that the Lord helps those that help themselves. I don't believe that. I believe that there's a lot of things within the scripture that we have made little catchphrases for that are typically just out of first and second opinion and not out of first and second Corinthians. But what we need to understand today is that in this case, when we worry, that scripture tells us not to worry for a reason. Christ tells us to take his load, to take his yoke, not to take our own. When we start to try to struggle through the worries of life and we start to try to figure out how we're going to get through everything, one of the things that we need to understand is that God is there. Now, I know I've been corrected a number of times about the God is now here thing on that God has never left or God is always there, and that is true. The reason I separated it out there was so that others could see what they could have seen in it because there's a number of people who thought that it only said one thing. And the reality is it's all in a matter of perspective. And this is what we've been talking about. And the vision as we head to 2020, where we need to go, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But let me clarify what that means. If you spend more time fearing the wind and the waves around you instead of keeping your eyes on Christ, And we've talked about Peter getting out of the boat. And then as Peter got out of the boat, you see Peter was walking on the water. Peter didn't sink until he realized what he was doing. He stepped out on faith. He took a few steps. And then he realized that in his own brain and in his own thought process and in his own way of doing things, this is not something I'm capable of doing. But it was something he was capable of doing because it wasn't him doing it through him. Peter could walk on water as long as Peter wasn't thinking about Peter's actions. Peter could walk on water as long as Peter wasn't worried about the world around him. Peter walked on water in the moment because Peter understood one thing and that was Christ said, come and I'm going. And that's where we need to be today in life. You see, that's the thing about life. In general, we get so wrapped up in the way that life goes, we lose sight of who we are in the moment. We lose sight of whose we are in the moment. We lose sight of the fact that Peter could walk on water because Peter didn't worry about what anyone else in the boat was doing. He didn't worry about what anyone else 
outside of him was doing. He didn't worry about the storm that was going on. He had his eyes on one thing, and that was the prize. But then two or three steps in or 20 steps in, however many it was, what we recognize is this. Peter stepped out of the boat. Peter walked on water. Then Peter looked around and recognized what was going on around him. And then once Peter recognized what was going on around him, he dropped. And then he had to be lifted out by Christ again. So as we think about that story, living by faith isn't the easiest thing for us to do. Living by faith is not the easiest way for us to attack the life that we have in front of us. But living by faith is the way that Christ calls us to live. We have to step out on faith. We're not always going to see the end before we start. We're not always going to understand the vision as we step out on the limb to take hold of it. It may be that the vision is out in front of us and we have to step out on the limb and get out there to get it. But we have to have faith that the branch is not going to break as we pursue the goal. We have to have faith that the world is not going to be able to attack us As we pursue the goal. Now the world will try to attack us. But we got to understand that the world's not going to be successful in those attacks. But it's not easy. And so what we need to look at here. Paul continues. If we if we go back a couple verses in verses 9, 10 and following starting in verse 10 here, he says. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now is your at last your care for me is flourished again. Meaning this is where I've gotten to in this conversation now where Paul is now thanking the church for what they're giving him. He's thanking the church for the gift that he gave that was given. But then he says, though you surely did care, um, or is it, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard of need, for I've learned that whatever state I am in or whatever state I am. To be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then we get to the verse that I started with I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So, what contextually speaking is Paul saying to the church? What Contextually speaking, is something we can take from this today. Well, it's not the fact that we can go out and do anything we want to do and just claim that verse over our life and it be content for us to do so. Paul is speaking from a prison, number one. It's not a coincidence that I started by talking about Paul being in prison. Paul is speaking from prison. He's writing to a church who finally he got a gift from them and he says, I haven't had opportunity, but here we are. He's, he knows what it's like to have and to have not. He knows what it's like to abound and not to abound. He knows what it's like to suffer and to be full of grace. He knows these. I mean, he, he's listing things here. I've heard different translations of all of this. But what it comes down to is this. Not that I speak in regard of need. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be a base. I know how to abound. In other words, what Paul is saying to the Philippian church today is this. I know what it feels like to have nothing. 
I also know what it feels like to have everything. But I have determined whatever state I am in to find contentment in the Lord because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You may be going through a dark time in your life. You might be going through the darkest time that you've ever experienced in life. You might be sitting in a prison of your own doing or a prison of the world. Whatever it might be, you may be sitting behind those bars wondering, how am I going to get from here to tomorrow? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He's not talking about an event. He's talking about a circumstance. He's talking about a life. He's talking about he knows how to live each individual type of life. If he has little, if he has much, if he's in prison, if he's out of prison, wherever Paul is, he has found contentment for the moment in Christ who gives him the strength for the day. It doesn't have to do with a game. It doesn't have to do with a circumstance. It doesn't have to do. This is a lifestyle that Paul is talking about. That is why we have used this verse wrong. Paul was grateful for the gift that was given. But Paul wanted the church to understand. Even if they hadn't given the gift. He would have been fine. Because he can do all things. Through Christ who gives him strength. He's thanking them for a gift. But he's saying look I realize you gave when you could. But I was okay. God took care of me. He had me under control. I was taken care of because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. See Paul's not talking about winning a game. So the real context of the verse is contentment. Contentment in all circumstances. The real context that we have here is coming to understand that God is the one who helps us through the situation. God is the one who gives us strength for the moment. God is the one who helps us through the difficult thing we are facing today. You know, I may not know what everyone's going through, but I do know that God gives us the power not to worry. And Christ talked about not worrying because the father who knows the sparrow when he's fallen to the ground, how much more so will he know you? He knows the number of the hairs on your head. How much more does he care for you? He gives us those hopes in the scripture. But what joy we should find in that today, knowing that the one who created this world knows us. He knows us intimately. He knows us personally he knows everything about who we are you know the season you're in the test you're facing the trial that's coming whether it be a disease like cancer or whether it be you know something going on within your family or within your friends whether it be a marital situation or a child parent relationship whatever the circumstance might be whatever trial you're facing today if we can find joy in the moment through Christ, then what we can recognize is, okay, how does this situation glorify him? But we're so selfish that we're looking at the circumstance through our own eyes that we're losing sight of where he is in all of this. 
We're, we're looking at everything through our own eyes going, well, how can I be glorified through this? How can I save my name through this? How can I make sure that others know who I really am? How can I truly believe that this situation is going to take care of itself? But God has promised me, but I just can't hold tight to that. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm facing because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength is what Paul is giving us in the promise for that moment. It's not about your name, but his. It's not about your circumstances, but his. It's about how he can utilize the situation you're in to turn it into a situation that his glory is revealed in. His glory, let me just clarify, his glory will be revealed in one way or another. The question is, do you want to look for his glory in the process of things? Or do you want to wait until it's revealed when you have nothing but guilt to hold you back? When you have nothing but the struggle that you're facing, keeping you from experiencing the true joy that God can put in your life right now. We can go through difficult times. We can go through hardships. We can go through all of this. But please understand that even Paul had to learn this. I have determined to be content. I have learned to be okay with my circumstances. Paul told the Corinthian church about a time when he was pleading with God to remove something from his life. We know about this in 2 Corinthians or uh, yeah, 2 Corinthians 12 where he says, "But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses." in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Or then he is strong. There's, I'm not really sure which one the accurate translation is. There's two different translations of it. But the reality is simply this. When we are weak, he is strong. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. And we appear strong in our weakest moments because of Christ through us is essentially what Paul's saying. In other words, you go through a hard time. You go through a difficult situation. You go through a struggle that you just don't understand. It's your weakest point that God is making you strong. That God is working behind the scenes. It's the weakest point. Everybody talks about the rock bottom experience where they come to know Christ because they can't go through anything else. Well, that's their weakest point in which Christ's glory is revealed in the circumstance they're facing. For the alcoholic, it might be the night that they almost died of alcohol poisoning. For, for the drug addict, it might be the night that they're laying in a gutter and have no recollection of the circumstance they're facing. For the, the married couple, it might be the night that they spent apart because they can't get along for the five minutes that they were together that day. For, for the child, it might be the night that they feel so alone apart from their parents. I don't know. I'm trying to go through things that I know of that I've heard people deal with recently. And the reality of it simply is this. It's tempting to think that when I get this circumstance right or that circumstance right, if I get a raise, my money will come together and I'll be able to give back to the church. If I get this, then this will happen. And if it would just go this way, if they would just see things my way, then all of this can be taken care of. 
Well, the reality is, is that when we get out of the, if they will just see things my way moment, and we start to get into the, if I can just see things his way moment, when we start to see things his way, our way doesn't seem to matter anymore. Because if it's not his way, then it's no way. Because his way is going to be accomplished. His way is going to take place. His way is going to happen in your life. If you're not trying to do it your way to keep it from happening, or whatever you're trying to do while doing it your way, if you're not in the middle of this moment trying to get everything done your way without his strength, without taking his yoke upon you, without the purpose that he has for you, If you're going at life alone, it's time to lay it all down and allow him full control. Not just partial control, not just Sunday morning control, Wednesday night control, whatever it is. I mean, you're not a TV show that Christ is watching and you're you're on three times a week. Although that's exactly how we think the American church works today. We can come in and we can turn it on for three hours a week. We can say, okay, well, I'm not going to miss this. This episode sounds like it's going to be good. This one's going to be juicy. This one's on Philippians 4.13. I'm going to go in and I'm going to get out everything I can on that one. Next week is Proverbs 29.18, I believe, so in case you, just in case you want to miss that episode or not. I don't know. But what I'm saying is, is this is not a television show. This is life. This is life. This is everything we need for life. This is the, the life. This is the way. This is the truth. This is the life. It's the word. This is Christ in our hands. This is how we know him. This is how we get to know him. And if you don't know him today, then there's nothing you can do for your life that's going to make your life any better without opening that and reading it and learning who it is that's in control, who it is that's will will be done. If you've missed parts of Revelation, we're to the point now where I can safely say, His will will be accomplished. We have to understand that. It's going to take place. So I want to close this way today. I want to simply say this. All in all, Paul didn't really travel with a lot of baggage. Paul went from place to place. He had few clothes, maybe some writing instruments, maybe a few scrolls of paper to write on, to write letters to the churches. But Paul went in the contentment of knowing who Christ was. He was content, and we can be content today in where we are. Philippians 4.13 is so much more than just, I can use this in this circumstance to give me hope, because it's not just you. It might be a player on the other team that's doing the same thing. If you're fighting two different battles and you're praying the same prayer, the question is, which side are you on? I'm not necessarily talking about it. I'm not 100% sure that God really cares about the basketball game that takes place on Tuesday night. I'm sorry. I don't know that the winner is something that he has really documented. As much as I like Tim Tebow as a person and his stance that he takes, I honestly do not believe that God had any care in the world about whether Tim Tebow won that football game or not. I mean, I think there's a reason that he's not in the NFL anymore. And it's not because of the persecution that was taking place or the lack of there. It's not because of skill or no skill. He got a witness and he's out there witnessing. But I don't think the athletic competition was anything God really cared about. 
even now. We can use the moments we're in. We can use the circumstances we're in. We can determine that wherever we are to be content. But we have to understand that this is not necessarily talking about the outcome, but the circumstance. Where we are, not what we will be. Philippians 4.13 is a very powerful verse, but when it's rightly divided, rightly used, rightly applied to our lives, it can mean so much more than just, I think I can get through this today. Because it's not just today that it applies to. Why do you continually have to come back to that verse day in and day out? Why do you continually have to come back from the worry that you're in about the circumstances of every day when the scripture tells us not to worry about the day because the day has worries of its own. Live in the moment you're in with Christ in control. Allow him to guide you with his spirit. Stop trying to put your own inflection on it. Just rest in the knowledge that he will guide you where you need to be. That he will lead you to the to the place that is happy. That joy will come through Christ who gives you strength. You see, that is what Paul meant. And that is what it says to us as the church today. It doesn't talk about the fact that we can get through the rebuilding process of this church because God gives us strength. It talks about the contentment that comes because of the vision we have moving forward. Because if there's vision. If there's vision in us, we can see God do great things because we are content in the circumstances. Even if it means we go through the most difficult of days. When you start to get closer, you're going to face trials. You're going to face struggles. You're going to face hardships. Be ready for that. But determine to be content in those circumstances. Instead of closing with a song, I know that there's, I don't think there's anybody here that needs to make a decision. I've seen your faces plenty of times and I know each one of you and your witness that you have. If you do need to talk to somebody, talk to me before you leave or talk to Joe or Charlie or anyone, Blake. Um, We would love to sit and talk to you about Christ if we need to. But I don't want to let anyone leave today if they need to talk to someone without talking to someone. And we'll figure out the time thing one of these days. I, I even started early. But I didn't start preaching until like 10 till, so. <laughs> but I mean, I, I can't think of a better place to be than here on a Sunday morning. Or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night. It's 12.27. I only went like 35 minutes, though. So. <laughs> but let's remember that today is a day that we can determine to be content in the own. And that we can allow those circumstances to happen. Uh, That's all I got. Tonight we'll be here at 6. Blake will be bringing the word uh, out of Romans. Uh, Wednesday night I'll be back in Revelation. And we'll uh, hopefully see everyone here. Me and Joe were here Wednesday night. We got a lot of praying done. So that was good. Uh, But any, any announcements or anything else before we close?